Welcome to the How Scary Is It podcast. I'm Anthony. And I'm Bree. And in this podcast, we venture to watch a bunch of different scary movies and ultimately answer the question. How scary is it? Yes. Uh, so, boy, oh boy. I was thinking about this, Bree. Um, I don't know how many episodes we've done. And I'm sure I can go in and I can count, but that's boring and I don't want to do it. Why? When, when do you think it... Why what should we do? regular schmegular stuff that we could easily look up? What do you think we should do for our 100th episode? Should mm. we do a special movie or should it just be business as usual? What would be a special movie? I don't know. What's one that we both like and haven't done because, like, if we're going back to the days of the review podcast, we've already done all the Halloween movies. We've already done all the Child's Play movies. We did two of the Scream movies of the later ones. Um, maybe Nightmare on Elm Street. Maybe a, another classic. Um, or maybe we do, like a, like, a newer classic. What are we? So, 16. We've done 16. The Babadook. The Babadook. Yeah. Why the Babadook? I don't know. I've never seen it. Um. Okay, so we did 40... Four, one, two, three, four. We've done 44... No, 46. We did 46 during the review podcast. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven... 8, 9, 10, 11. And so we're almost at 60. We're at 59. This this will be our 59th, I think. Well, we got time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we do have time. We got We've been doing this for like over a year and we only did a 50-some. Well, I guess if you do like uh, how many weeks are in a year minus a couple because we took some some time off. Sometimes I take time off because I just deserve it. Yeah. Okay. Well, hi. Well, hi, everybody. Um, well, welcome to the How Scary Is It podcast, podcast in which we watch movies and we discuss how scary is it. Um, we finished up a couple weeks ago doing the last two movies of the Scream franchise. We did a special two-parter in celebration of the new Scream movie coming out. Um, as of where we are right now in our recording schedule... There hasn't been a whole lot of horror being released recently, so we had to go back to, uh, back back to uh, the cash cow, I suppose, and pop in another Friday the Thirteenth movie because when was the, we did our last Friday the Thirteenth movie? I think in February, and this will be our first, when this comes out. It'll this is be the, the one first that one in every. April. This is the one that could have been the first one. This is the one that should have been the first one. I yeah. understand why. It wasn't the first one but this had the potential to be the first one it's it's uh it's an inno- I, I shouldn't say innovative innovative is the wrong word to use when discussing this franchise but i would say it's um just a good idea to bring in a major antagonist that you can slap into every single movie you created a monster and it worked. Initially, if we're getting into it very quickly, and uh, we can pause and go into our BSing session in a moment, but initially, the dudes who created Friday the 13th envisioned 
this franchise to be how the Halloween franchise was supposed to go. It was supposed to be anthology-based, a different horror movie per Friday the 13th movie. But then they're like, no. And some of the studio people that were involved in the movie said, we demand that you include Jason in this because it can be a good idea. So they had to work their way into getting Jason in here. And ultimately, Brie, it doesn't make sense how Jason (laughs) is in this movie. And it raises more questions than it answers. But I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters because these are movies that you turn your brain off to. I don't need a complex explanation of why Jason is like a grown ass man yet he apparently died when he was a kid and his mom thought he died when he was a kid. But if his mom knew he was alive, then she wouldn't have murdered all those people. But why didn't he tell his mom he was alive or indicate to his mom that he was alive? I don't know. We're asking too many questions for this movie. You didn't see anything. I just got to enjoy the ride. And that, that's what I say about the Marvel movies when my friends get like all critical of Marvel. I'm like, I'm just here to enjoy the ride. I'm not I'm not asking questions. I'm here to look good and just be be the one. Well, did you I was uh, drinking coffee, anything sorry. anything new, Anthony, in the world of Anthony? No, not really. Um Let me tell you all what I've been up to because let me talk to you. I know uh, you've been um, wondering what the elusive Brie has been up to for so long. Last weekend, my lovely husband was out of town. so. Oh, yeah. I got to talk about that, huh? I'll uh, get to it. He was out of town, and I decided to buy a new bed frame from Ikea. Probably the hardest bed frame to put together because it comes with four drawers on the bottom. I completely forgot that the bed has drawers at the bottom. I know. We have to reorganize our bedroom. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, anyway. You just reminded me in this moment that we have extra storage space now. Anyway, so I I put this bed together with the headboard on my own. It took five hours to put the bed together because you're supposed to do it with like other people. It actually says in the directions, there's an X over someone doing it by themselves. And like a check mark by people doing it. <laughs> In case you didn't know, and I told you to wait. I said, Brie, I'm going to be out of town this weekend. I know you're buying it this weekend, but just wait until I get home Sunday night and we'll put it together on Sunday or Monday. And she said, no. No, I spent like literally two whole days to the point where like my fingers were raw and it hurt to like put water on them. And like my back hurt, my legs hurt. It was a lot of work, five hours for the bed and like another like hour and a half for the headboard to put it together. But, you know, I feel like I did a, an OK job like the bed put together. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's fine. So, <laughs> I enjoy it. The dog enjoys it. Oh, the dog really enjoys the bed. He can they, finally get up there. Yeah. Our bed frame was um, I think there were a couple of reasons why Kaido was apprehensive about going on the bed in the last time, because the bed frame right now doesn't seem as it's like on par maybe with the size of the bed frame that we had in the past because the bed frame was large our mattress is really thick so kaido i think he would act like he couldn't get up on the bed and maybe he actually couldn't maybe it actually was bigger but i think he was intimidated ultimately by mittens being on um on the bed and now that uh the bed frame is a little bit shorter 
I think he's more comfortable going up on top of the bed. He's been cuddling with us at the nighttime. He discovered bed. (laughs) Now Um, he won't leave the bed. He will go back into his bed, though. Oh, yeah. He's pretty good about that. We have his Kaido's crate trained because Anthony has um, just control issues. So Kaido's crate trained. And he insists that Kaido needs to go in his crate so he doesn't Don't want to de-crate train him. Crate training was the best thing that we did with this dog outside of outside training. <laughs> anyway, so I did that. Um, then I'm on, I was on spring break this whole past week, which has been fantastic. I craved to get back into my room, but my room got... So <laughs> we got new desks in my room. So I had to go in one of the days on Tuesday and I got to rearrange my classroom. I'm just so I'm like dreading going back into that room because everything looks so different and the kids are going to lose their brains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you do you feel as though how do I want to word this? Do your students since they're in first grade when you change the landscape of the classroom they come in and they're yelling and screaming okay i was gonna say can they handle it no (laughs) (laughs) i i I just switched their like before we had new stuff i would just move their desks around and they would all lose their brains completely so it's gonna be interesting i remember when i was in i don't have to deal with it though because i am um i have my, my student teacher has taken over the class fully so, like, I don't have to deal with it. When I was in elementary school, it was always a big deal when the landscape of the classroom changed. Like, the desks moved into, like, lines or pods or something like that. And it was about, who can, who am I sitting next to? It was all, do your kids do that still? Where it's like, I got to sit next to certain people. I have this one child in my group. She gets always so, so she gets angry because I never pair her with this other student. And I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I don't know how to tell her that the other student is like incredibly low. So they're never going to be in the same group. I was like, you can read this other child cannot. I was like, I know you're really close friends. I was like, but in no world do you guys end up in the same group. Right, right. And like, she gets so angry about it. And I'm just like, I, I, was, I was talking to my um, student teacher and I'm like, I just like, I she's acting like a brat and i think she's acting like a a brat because like you're the teacher right now because like she pulls this like like bratty behavior like that didn't exist at the beginning of the school year and she used to write me notes when she was angry she would be like i'm mad and sad and then she would like hand it to me and i'd be like Okay, and I'd throw it away. Because <laughs> I'm the type of person that's like, okay, I recognize that you're mad and sad, but at the same time, like, you're mad and sad because you're not getting your way, and, like, that's not how the classroom works. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not a democracy. This is a meocracy. And I tell the kids that all the time. I'm like, this is um, not a democracy, although I do take your suggestions into consideration. I was like, ultimately, this is um, a monarchy. And I was like, I, I, I'm the ruler I teach here. them the call and response. Did I tell you the call and response that I have? Yes, the queen. All that, hail the queen. Hear ye, hear ye. And I say, hear ye, hear ye. And all the children say, all hail the queen. And I think that's a hilarious call it's and response. It's also dangerous because <laughs> it's so easy to get people to just respond to things. Anyway, 
It's it's different because like it's hard for me as like I'm such a busybody teacher and like I he's supposed to take over, but he has no like voice and like the kids aren't afraid of him. Not that the kids are afraid of me. I just have like <laughs> I was a, gonna say is should they be afraid? Yes. Oh my goodness. Sometimes they need they need to know when to switch off. You know? They think they can get away with stuff when he's teaching them. That they wouldn't do if I was teaching them. When I teach them, voices are off. Cause I won't talk if they're talking. He like talks over them talking, and I'm like, Well, that kid, that kid, that kid, that kid, that kid. They have no idea what you just taught. Because they were all talking. I, as a teacher, have such a um, chill environment in my classroom and chill presence. I don't yell. And, I don't yell and either. And I told, I told the kids, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you about things. I'm not going to yell if you don't want to, like, we just won't have the class and I'll just give you the work to do for, for homework and I'll make it worth points and you'll be forced to do it if you don't want to do things. I don't yell anymore. I stopped yelling after my first year. I did yell the other day, not in my classroom, but at students. I was walking to another teacher's classroom to have a meeting with them. And outside um, in the second floor hallway, which I'm on the first floor, so I moved to the second floor for this meeting. And uh, these two kids are just like sophomores, I think, that were just like like wrestling in the hallway. And they didn't see me there, so I just went like... Gentlemen, <laughs> see, I don't yell. And, to, I don't yell I, at my I, students. I went to I went to the my colleague's classroom to have the meeting, and he's like, "Is everything okay out there?" I was like, "Yeah, they're just being stupid," and I was I was like out of breath. I'm like, I don't normally yell like that. Like I'm out of breath now. <laughs> I don't yell at my students, but that doesn't mean I do lunch and like I do proctoring of the lunchroom for kindergarten and first grade lunch. I yell at them kindergartners. With my whole with my whole chest voice, you know what I mean. One time I I had a student. There's one kindergarten student never sits down, and he was underneath the table, and I was like, "Get out from under the table right now!" So can I tell you? <laughs> let me tell you a punishment that I was given in like the sixth grade when I wouldn't sit down, and you tell me if this is best practice for or. Oh, I or always not. Tell, I always tell the kids, "You better sit down before I glue you in your spot." My chair got taken away. She took away my chair. So I had to stand the entire day. And uh, even like when actual learning was going on, I, I didn't have a chair. I couldn't sit down. See, I take, she's like, she's like, you want to stand? Then I take a student. I'll take away your chair. I've taken a student's chair away, but not because they kept standing up. It's because they kept falling asleep. Uh-huh. I have a student who. <sighs> this makes me so upset. Mom packs this child cookies, cakes, chips, like not no, nothing of substance. Nothing. She daily. It's like the mini muffins, mm-hmm. like cookies, fruit snacks, a little yogurt, and that's her lunch. Okay. No, no sandwich. Nothing like even like a breakfast bar. Or Nothing like, that actually gives energy. It's just, like it's literally all carbohydrates yeah. and sugar, and then she falls asleep in class because when you have a carb overload and sugar sugar overload and too. sugar overload, you you crash. She to the point where even standing up, she's falling asleep. And isn't that weird how people do that? I've never been able to do that before. Where it's like, even if I'm standing up, I'm st- I've seen kids do like I've seen high schoolers do that. 
where it's like you you just can't stay awake. And I've never experienced that before. And I've sent her to the nurse a, a few times because I'm like, go to the nurse and here and hand them this pass. And the pass says student keeps falling asleep while standing up and like sitting down. Can the nurse just have her lay down in there for like a little bit? And I think I used to in my classroom have like this little nook with a bunch of pillows and stuff. Um, my second ever class um, ruined that because they got lice everywhere. Oh no! <laughs> oh, damn it! I, I used to have this little nook so that like kids could like if they came to school tired, I just would, like go into the corner and go to sleep <laughs> because no one could see them in that corner. Like mm-hmm. if you're passing from if you're an administrator passing, you couldn't see them. Yeah. My my whole way is how can I get these kids the and I used to have snack like a bunch of food in my room, but now we're like we're not allowed to give out food, which I understand. But I had like allergen free food, like stuff that the lunchroom had, and they would get like give out a bunch of them, and I used to collect them like different th- bags of chips, different like cook like breakfast like bars and stuff. I would get a bunch of them from the lunchroom and if a kid came in late and they were hungry because like after a certain time the, the lunchroom stops serving breakfast and you can't get any food yeah until lunch and i'm like what happens when a kid arrives an hour late for school and they haven't eaten anything mm-hmm. it's just all about trying to meet the kids needs i get so frustrated at parents because especially this girl's parents because i've met had like several meetings with this mother i i have talked to some of my colleagues and i have never really had any bad experiences with parents but some of them have and one one of my colleagues asking me the other not the other day maybe a few weeks ago how do you discipline a parent and make it like respectful i was like that is a good question how do you discipline a parent yeah <laughs> how, how do you discipline a parent because what we're experiencing at the high school level is that there's a lot of factors that are moving in that creates the lack of motivation in high schoolers that create the apathy that they have for school. And it doesn't help when parents aren't holding their students accountable either. Well, I can tell you how we disciplined my one crazy parent. Oh yeah. <laughs> you're one that wanted to fight you. It's like, um, we will not be having a conversation while you are this heated. You need to calm down or you're going to be asked to leave. Um, please leave. <laughs> I was surprised when you told me that they still allowed her to be on the premises because she's threatening violence against another teacher. Then she, she shouldn't be allowed there. Oh, no. I had to get walked to my car by head of security two days in a row. I don't when, think does the, the, when does the union step in and, and like say... That union did step in. Oh, okay, That's, good. They're the ones who made the security walk me to my car. Good. Um... And then my vice principal was mad that I went straight to the union rep instead of her. And I was like, y'all don't protect me. My union rep is the one who protects me. I know my rights. Oh, just like just like an administrator to get mad when you go to the union. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you should have come to me first. I was like, I'm always going to go to the union first. One, because they have... Their whole job is to protect Their whole you. job is to protect me. You protect yourself in the school. Yes. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not dumb. I was like, oh, yeah, next time I'll come straight to you knowing full well that next time I would go straight to the union person again. We have the union vice president at my school. I wish I had a union, honestly. I don't think we... Nec- 
I shouldn't say that. I gotta say, though. I was gonna say, I don't think we necessarily need one in the private school level, but I think there are situations in which the union can be help very helpful at the private school level where it's like, if I had, if I just had issues, I'm not saying that I do, but if I had hypothetically issues with my administration not doing things that they're supposed to be doing or not taking things seriously or like you said doing things to help themselves rather than help the teachers again not saying i'm experiencing that but i'm saying hypothetically if i was then yeah that would be nice to have like a body to go to to try to talk to those administrators and negotiate with them because right now what this what the uh circumstances are is that I, I go to my division dean, who then goes on my behalf to whatever administrator needs to hear it, and then maybe something changes, maybe something doesn't well, change. Our like, my whole thing is sometimes administrators are wrong, like a lot of the time administrators are wrong, and they're not listening to te- like sometimes they won't listen to like teachers, and even though we're like telling them like, hey, like oh tell me about it, breathe. like this is not how it's done, like. For example, they want us to put comments in on every single subject. Kids are getting a grade of C or lower. And I tried to explain to them, hey, like on our report cards, those comments don't show up. Only this comment in homeroom shows up. So like we have to do our comments in the homeroom section. And they're like, no, I want you to do it this way. And I was like, "Okay, but like it's unnecessary work on teachers because no one is going to see that. Mm-hmm. I just do what I say. Well, uh, okay. And, and Go my, straight to the union yeah. person. Hey, this is what they're making us do. And no one's going to see it. And she's like, okay. So we did it for the first round of report cards. Then the second round of report cards comes around. And they want us to do the same thing. And the union president says, absolutely not. Because that is unnecessary work for the teachers. And then we get the email from administration mm-hmm. saying, never mind. Put every comment in homeroom. And it's like. Yes, because you make us do so much work that is not necessary to put a comment in every suit. Some students have a high C and what's the reason? They got one bad test grade that brought down their B to a high C. I was like, first of all, I don't think first graders should even be getting letter grades. It's ridiculous to me. Mm -hmm. Ridiculous to me that I would give a first grader an F. Ridiculous. And I have first graders with F's. I do. Because I have students who are like on track to get like an IEP. And the only way they can be on track to get an IEP is if you show that they're failing. Yeah. So I can't even like help them by doing like. And I have one student who came to me like from a different school and like he needs to be getting an IEP, but his mom does like some of his work. So he's getting like D's instead of F's and they're telling me, he well, we need to see F's. And I'm like, D's are bad too. Like a D is bad. I was like, these first graders should be getting A's and B's and everything. Most of my class is getting A's and B's and everything. If you can read, you're getting an A or B. Where, where I experienced that and I'm going to be careful about what I say, but where I, tend to experience that is holding other teachers accountable for where the kids are so like i teach an ap class for the seniors when the seniors come to my ap class some of them have taken ap us history with the teacher for their junior year Mm -hmm. some of them haven't what i'm finding out is that the kids who haven't taken 
the AP U.S. History class that come into my AP government class, and they don't do as like they struggle a little bit more when it comes to the standardized testing uh, strategies and things like that. How to read a multiple choice question, how to conduct the writing the way the that the uh, College Board wants you to. Whereas the kids who come from the AP U.S. History class are usually pretty well equipped in that realm because they've had the experience, they've had the exposure, they've had the test prep already. So my my thought process is it shouldn't be like that. I should be getting seniors that across the board have had a tremendous amount of standardized test prep because this the juniors in general take the ACT-SAT. They take standardized testing. So why is it that the ones that have taken an AP class before are much more proficient in standardized test prep than the ones that haven't taken the AP class. What are what are the other teachers from the non-AP classes doing to prepare them for standardized testing? Doesn't seem like very much. I so can tell my, you. my crusade right now is we need to start standardized test prep from the ground up, scaffold it from freshman year onwards but my problem is that I am only like one teacher and I have to like mobilize the masses See, to be you guys, able to do this. What you guys need is like what we have. We have like this learning. We call it like learning building blocks. So every year they're learning a different strategy. So in first grade, they're using KWL charts and they're doing story mapping and something and like and then in second grade they're still doing kwls and story mapping but they're adding something else and then in the next grade now they're adding something else now they're adding something else so they have what they already had in their toolbox but now they're using that plus something else and every year they're building up and that's what really your school needs to do you have to start small and then the next year you build on it until they get to senior year where now they have all the standardized test prep. But what, what I think where I think we're getting lost is that teachers forget about what truly is on the ACTS. They were a college preparatory school and it doesn't seem like we're doing what needs to be done. And a lot of teacher a lot of people would say, Well, you shouldn't teach towards a standardized test. That's bad. But that's what's going to get them money off of college. But I also want people to realize like the SAT, ACT is not just like a test. It's also like your common freaking sense. Yeah. It's your, well, it's your ability to read questions and your basic like intelligence. Like I know it seems ridiculous, but like, when you look at what a is person actually, who scores like a 15 on the ACT, I definitely don't want to be a doctor. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like if we do away with something like ACT or SAT, like then you have people who got like a 15 on their common sense test becoming doctors. And that would scare me past oblivion where i think we fail a little bit is we know what's on the act sat but we're not prepping the kids to take it in a smart way because there's this movement that that's been happening more recently about well we shouldn't we should step away from teaching towards standardized tests and teach like life lessons and teach content things that's like that. cool that's cool but you, you can realize do both of those things but do you, you realize, realize like that. every single country besides the U.S., has people take proficiency tests to even be able to go to college? Yes, and I'm saying... And if you score below something, they're like, no, college isn't for you. You can pick something else. But Like, that's like a majority of other countries. What what I'm saying here is that 
you can do both of those things. Like we can talk about cool content in my politics class. We can talk about all this cool stuff, but we're also doing standardized test prep in a lot of different ways. I'm utilizing different sources. I'm doing like the practice FRQs with them. We we're doing both of those things. Why can't every other class do that? Well, that happens to be uh, there happens to be situations in which maybe the teachers don't fully understand what's on these standardized tests, don't have the resources, don't want to use the resources, don't want to change, and that's where we're having these issues. So when we're talking for closing our tabs a little mm-hmm. bit and we're linking things back together, and we're talking about like why maybe in a private school, a union would be beneficial to have is because if you have those problems with the administration and you come up with solutions that the administration doesn't want to listen to, the union might step in and be like, hey, your teacher's unhappy and they're identifying issues and they're not feeling as though they're being heard. I'm assuming. I don't know. I've never been a part of a union. So I'm assuming the magical benefits of a union. I well, suppose. I'm going to actually be running to have a executive board position for the union. Because I'm getting told by everybody and their mother, please run, please be part of, like, they want me to be union president, but that doesn't go on the docket till next year. So I have to figure out something else to be while we wait. You're going to be everything that my Republican family hates. (laughs) The head of a teacher's union? (laughs) What? Union president. (laughs) Isn't that crazy how, like, (laughs) that's so crazy how people who would really, really benefit from being in unions tend to, like, hate and and become brainwashed into hating unions? It's like, (laughs) you understand, like, unions are there to protect you from, like, unsavory work conditions. You, you're, when you are actively. But then all these people are like, man, the unions, they demand too much. When you're actively anti-union, you're working against your own best interests. Yes. Unions (laughs) negotiate salary. Unions negotiate healthcare. Unions negotiate retirement. Unions negotiate, like, everything for you so that you get advocated for. Like, the reason we have. Please, please, big boss, take advantage of me more. It's like, if. For example, in Arizona, there is not a teacher's union. Yes. They can literally make you stay for as long as they want you to stay. I got a friend who teaches out in Arizona. Because like I can ask him about there this. is no union. Mm-hmm. I was like, they can pay. I remember him talking this to me person, a little bit about that. Like pennies. And then for no reason at all, hire somebody else, the same position and pay them more. Yeah. Because there's no like salary like. There's no table or anything. Yeah, there's no one fighting. Well, for I don't you. know about that. I shouldn't say that. Anyway, let's get into this because we've been talking a long time about. We should have a camp counselor union in up in a, a rural New York or Massachusetts, wherever New Jersey, wherever this takes place. We should have a camp counselor union to try to prevent all of these counselors in training from dying all the time at the hands of it Jason It seems Voorhees. like every time you're training to become a counselor, you're also training to become bait. I mean... You become dead. Yeah. <laughs> I diagnose you with death. <laughs> so, okay. Um, the movie that we watched uh, the other day is Friday the 13th Part 2. Friday the 13th part two was oh god let me pull it up um crud I had it up and oh here we go 
Friday the 13th Part 2 is a 1981 American slasher film produced and directed by Steve Miner in his directorial debut, written by Ron Kurtz, a sequel to 1980's Friday the 13th Part 1. The movie stars Amy Steele and John Fure, I think that's how you pronounce his name, and uh, marking the debut of the series' main antagonist moving forward, Jason Voorhees. The movie uh, was made on a budget of $1.25 million. That's a lot of money. No, it's not. <laughs> not for movies. That's a very small budget. Um, engrossed over, uh, around $21.7 million. So pretty, made, made a decent buck for the studio. Friday the 13th Part 2 initially intended to be an anthology film similar to how the, how the Halloween franchise was uh, supposed to go, but... Ended up finding its ground a little bit with Jason Voorhees being like a main antagonist and a main killer. So we are going to get into spoilery territory in just a little bit. So if you haven't seen, oh yeah. So if you haven't seen Friday the 13th part two, it's been out for about 40 years. You can very easily watch it. I'm sure it's on some kind of streaming service. We watched it on a DVD, but I would suggest that you pause the podcast you go watch the movie, and you come back after you've seen it. Because our spoilery conversation about Friday the 13th coming. is coming in three, two, one. Bow, bow, bow. And with that, let's begin our discussion. My God, Brie, what did you think? Um, You know that there's a special place in our hearts for these movies, as Anthony has a Camp Crystal like coffee mug that he uses. I was literally just drinking day. my coffee out of that. Yeah. <laughs> Which I got him for just a present. I like to do these things where I just get Anthony presents all the time. He doesn't do the same to me. He hasn't even got me flowers at all, in, except one time during our entire relationship because he says flowers just die and it's pointless. Even though I've you always. want something that's going to last. No, even though I've always asked, I was like, oh, you know what would be nice? Just like some flowers. Never get them. I don't blame him for not getting them for me, though, because literally I let those things mold and rot. Yes. Well, I'd rather get you like a T-shirt or something <laughs> where it's like it's going to last a little bit longer. And you, you, know use how, it. you know how he could get me flowers and then they don't mold and rot? He could go and buy fake flowers that like the Michaels. And he, I should have bought you flowers. I know. He should have bought me flowers and held my hand. Anyway, this movie... <laughs> This is me just, I'm going to complain about the things about him I don't like. The podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So this movie opens up with our final girl from the first movie. And she's kind of being treated because, like, like she's kind of feeling, like, on edge. She asks, like, what about the boy? And they're like, what are you talking about? I um, I took some notes on this movie about procedural things in this movie. Brie decided not to take notes because she figured that she would be fine. And then uh, she comes into the podcast studio today and she says, um, you're going to have to lead this one because I don't remember. <laughs> and I said, maybe you should take notes in the future. And then what um, I said to that, poo poo on you, sir. Poo poo. The opening is uh, considered one of the longest pre-title openings uh, in film history. It is about 15 minutes long and about, I would say, 10 minutes of that is like a previously on 
<laughs> Previously it's on. Like, it's, it's just like it's a basically recap. giving us the last like 10 minutes of the previous movie in preparation for this. Like, like, in, in case, case you, you forgot. <laughs> in case you forgot in the nine months that it took for this movie to come out um, in between. But yeah, we get we get a little bit of like the Betsy Palmer beheading and Bree said, uh, what did you say when we watched that I beheading? I could never do it. <laughs> no, you said... Uh, I, you said something like, oh, I'd do that. No, I said I could never do that. And Is that said, what you said? Yeah, and you were like, of course not, because that's not realistic. That's what I was, and yeah. Can, you can't do that. And I said, okay. That's that's the point that I was trying to get to was I thought for a second you said, "I oh, I can do that. And I was like, no, you can't. Because it is physically impossible to one swing behead somebody <laughs> with a machete. The Mythbusters tried to figure that out. Did they really? Yeah. Can you one swing somebody's no. head off with a machete? No. no, you can't do. There's too much muscle and bone. Either Mythbusters you or be super maybe it was strong. something else where a bunch of people made like different swords and they kind of like tested out like if it would be able to cut anyway it, it, no so like you can do it if the subject is laying down like in a guillotine or something like yes you can do that you can one swing somebody's head off but if the subject is standing up and you have to swing it like a baseball bat into the person's neck like no because you don't have like the hit of what's behind it right right so you're dealing with what do they call it um and is that called inertia flarpa flarpa yes you're dealing with the flarpa and the, the, the idea that you have nothing like when you hit something that doesn't have like a solid structure next to it that thing is just gonna move in the direction in which you hit it so you can't get like a clear what am i trying to say like the body is once the body is in motion it's gonna stay that's in motion what I was, that's inertia until, right yeah until it hits something am i dumb no if, i don't know science, <laughs> science an object bitch. in motion will stay in motion until it collides with another object yeah so you can't like swing somebody's head off in that case <laughs> because you're not getting enough force Right? Am I? Oh God. I it sounds right. I'm he's, a history teacher. He sounds smart, so we're just going to believe him. He also looks smart, too. He's got glasses and stuff. He looks like he might work in computers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell that story on this podcast. I'm not. No, I was considering it for a second of telling that story. I'm not going to tell that story. Anyway, I don't know who's listening. We, we, there's like this whole like previously on. And then there's this kind of like she is feeling like on edge and like we're to we're also to assume that this is there's been a five-year time skip between the first movie and this movie so it's been it's been a minute and alice is still dealing with the ptsd uh story goes that the actress i believe her name is adrian king um she dealt with in the year before uh that it took for the first movie and the second movie to come out together um, because of the popularity of the first movie, she was dealing with like a really horrible incident with a stalker, um, in which like somebody broke into her home and like was terrorizing her essentially. So she didn't like, she gave up acting because of that. And, uh, she didn't really want to be in the second movie and said, I'll only accept the role if it's like the most minimal amount of screen time that you can possibly give me. So... She came back for the first 15 minutes of the movie and uh, in her death scene, Jason takes like a 
an ice pick and puts it into her her head and it was supposed to retract it was supposed to be like a, a stage tool and a she stage actually weapon. gets stabbed um it didn't retract the first time and she did get hurt but they they were able to like carry on and and shoot the scene and with it retracting but uh she was in an interview at at one point and she was like yeah the thing was supposed to retract and like those idiots didn't make sure that it was going to retract and so when we shot it the first time like it hurt <laughs> so yeah the there there isn't like a great story there and what do you think when that happens so let's say um this is why i could like, never an, be like famous. An, act, an actress from like a very well a very good like i'm trying to think of like an actress that's not very popular but like if the lead actress in Smile, I know she's like Kevin Bacon's daughter, but like if she, if somebody really, really loves Smile and then started stalking her, do you think it's up to the studio to step in and be like, they should pay for for security? security. Also, or do you think that the studio? I'm like, telling you, if you're any, out of our hands, if anyone tries to stalk me, stand your ground. You getting unalived. I'm just throwing that out there. I ain't putting I'm up with brain that. Ya. I'll brain you. Anthony, <laughs> Anthony has told uh, several times, if that person comes near you, I'll brain them. Yeah, that was a fun. <laughs> that was, that a, was a, fun a fun summer. Time. Yeah, that was a fun time. there was like this issue my friend was dealing with a stalker, and because you were closely associated and I was with close, that friend, and he did not like you. He did not like <laughs> me, and I was associated. It was, I think they did not like me because I was always talking shit. I was like, I think this person's not good. I think you should break up. And when they finally got to that point, like, I'm the bad guy, I guess. So Anthony was like, if that guy comes anywhere near us, I'm going to brain him. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that conversation very vividly You're like, I'm in gonna the kitchen brain. of our apartment. He's like, I'm going to brain him. I'm going to brain him. <laughs> yeah, well... That's why I've always, because I've, I, I want a baseball I gotta admire, bat. like. I want, like, a metal baseball bat, but I don't want to pay the money for it. Just I, to have in our house. I gotta admire these people who, like, stalk, like, Rihanna. Like, what is preventing ASAP Rocky from just murdering you? you? Yeah. And. <laughs> because uh, if you threatened Rihanna. How like, do you choose between two of Rihanna? Like. So why would you even think you were going to make it out alive? We so we live in the suburbs and it can get quite dark and scary because there's like very little lighting in the streets and in the backyards and everything. So I've thought about like protection for the house and my my parents were like, why don't you go go to like a, a uh, get a concealed carry license or something and like have a One, gun. I think I shoot myself house. on accident. That's what I said. Um, <laughs> I was like, I don't trust myself with a gun. And also like if somebody were to break in our house, our house is super small to a point where it's like if I have to go into a safe and grab a gun, I'm going to be dead by the yeah, time that happens. Because there's no way, no way ever. There's, there's that, no way. That we so would I'd, ever like not put it in a safe. I'd be better our... off. I'd be better off having a baseball bat in the bedroom or something. And... um. When my my students always ask, oh, you live in the suburbs, like, uh, what do you like? What do you how, what do you use to protect your house? And I was like, well, I have a samurai sword, <laughs> <laughs> and like, what's scarier, 
somebody with a gun or a crazy white guy with a samurai sword. It's definitely a crazy white guy with a samurai sword. Right, right. And we have a, we have a number of lightsabers in the house. I think we, we're solid on protection. We have th- a three, three lightsabers. Them, three lightsabers in the house. And one of them is a stage lightsaber. So it's meant for combat. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so opening scene, I wrote that... Um, Alice is like living in the suburbs. There's a really cool tracking one shot of Alice walking through the apartment. And I love, 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 love when horror movies do these like, let's follow our characters as they walk around in closed spaces in one shot. Yes. Because it. Anthony was like nerding out. He's like, this was all shot in one shot. (laughs) I love Warners. And I think it's really impressive when we're able to do it because. You can build a lot of tension with a one shot scene because I was thinking about it as I was watching. I'm like, we're at the mercy of the camera. There is no protection. We're just at the mercy of whatever comes and whatever it's showing us. And um, I-, I think like with a lot of scenes where you have like a lot of cuts and uh, uh, that kind of editing around th- different things. I feel like the camera is not like as much of an omnipotent force where when you have a one shot and you're just following a character around, especially in tight, tight squeeze spaces, you're, you're just at the mercy of whatever happens. And there's not, there's nothing you can do to prevent what's going to happen. And I think it really is a good way of like messing with your audience and like building that tension. So I appreciated the one or, um, of them following Alice as she's like changing and like ready to go into the shower and things like that. She's walking around her her apartment. I also think it's cool to play with spacing like that in movies. Do you remember Room? Yes, I do remember Room. And like, do you remember? And I know why they did this. So in the first half of the movie, when they're when they're uh, Brie Larson and her son are in Room. It seems like it's this very big place. The way it's shot and the way it's edited makes it seem like it's a really big open space. And then at the very end, when they show the whole like space and you're like, holy crap, this was actually like really small. I think that's like such a cool tool to mess with your audience and give your audience a sense of like your perception of this space is only what we are allowing you to perceive. Mm hmm. And you can do that in horror and make it look really cool and make it look really nice. And I think they do a very good job of this. I do want to point something out as well that I forgot to point out when we were talking about the logistics of the movie in the background. Um, Steve Miner directs this movie. And I was going to ask, and I know this question, this answer is going to be no. Do you recognize that name from anywhere? No. He's the director of Halloween H2O as Interesting. well. Yeah. So we've this is the second Miner film that we've... Uh, that we've covered on the pod. Um, I noticed that Alan or Alice has Alan. <laughs> um, I noticed that Alice had a watermelon on top of the fridge, and I thought that that was kind of weird. Oh, you said something. You're like, why? Why is the watermelon just sitting on top of the fridge? But I guess when you have nowhere else to put it, uh, sure, why not? Um, could be, could be a little bit of a a, a, a play there on part of the production team because when she opens up the fridge she sees the head of betsy palmer's mrs Voorhees in the fridge she screams and then she gets stabbed in the head with an ice pick and we don't see 
who killed her. But, oh, Kaido is, Kaido's yelling. Oh, you can hear him, I bet. Um, you don't see who stabbed her, but we are to assume that it is the boy, Jason Voorhees, and he's now a man. Hi, Bree. I know, I'm just listening to are the you, dog. Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm listening to the dog cry. I'm like, oh my God. Oh, I'm out of coffee. That what did what did you think about the opening scene? Do you think it's effective? Do you think that um, they could have handled it differently? I mean, this opening scene is just to get us this terrifying thought of there's somebody else out there, and like now we're dealing with not a man. We're dealing with a man, which doesn't make sense. I like I see the the error of like she wouldn't have even made the murders if her son was still alive. It raises more questions yeah. than it answers. It's like, did she know? Turn your brain off. Turn your Miha. brain off and just enjoy, Miha, just enjoy the movie. The then we get like... Stop asking questions. Then we get smacked with like, this is the what movie it is. Friday the 13th. And, and then I, we, I did, did I call it or what did I say? That title's going to explode. And then... <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, then after that, it's the same movie. I Okay, so... <laughs> That was that was my whole thing where I was sitting there and I think I said multiple times I'm like, this is the same movie. They get caught at the teenagers get that are on their way to the camp. They get caught at the gas station. The crazy guy comes and tells them to stay out. They don't stay out. There's the prankster. There's the tropes. They're at the camp. They're having the campfire. People start getting picked off one by one. Some people start having sex. We maybe see a boob here or there, but ultimately it's the, it's the same movie. This is the same And we movie. could really stop the podcast right there and be like, well, it's the same movie. I covered movie the same thing. Well, he just kind of like told you everything that happens. Yeah. <laughs> they all start getting picked off one by one. Some of them go off to have sex. Most of the time, the people who go off to have sex, they get stabbed right through the both of them. So they become one like big thing. And it's usually a big like spear-like blade that stabs through all them both. And we get like... I said, so the new cast goes to the gas station... They meet Ralph, crazy Ralph. Crazy Except Ralph in this him, one, crazy Ralph like dies. Yeah, I think that was supposed to be like the, is, isn't this one edgy and it's different, yeah, right, guys? Yeah, they killed him out. Like they, <laughs> He gets killed like pretty early on, too. And then I, then I said it's the same movie from the prankster is introduced, like that, that guy with the uh, curly red hair, he's introduced. Although, I did I miss something or does he stay alive i don't remember him i don't being think he killed. dies yeah i don't remember him getting killed i was off. like man this guy's gonna be the first to go because he's such a goofball and no, then the people we know die for sure it's the, the people who stay at the camp and don't go out to town the night that they're um yeah they're so you have ready. like the the guy in the wheelchair that was disappointing. But he gets it the worst. He gets it the. I think he gets it the worst because he gets insult added to his he, injury. He gets machete machete in the face and then pushed down the stairs. And oh my god, Jason's such a jerk. Jason has a disability in his own right and is like, no, I'm just gonna push the guy with the in the wheelchair down these big flights of stairs. Another guy who gets it pretty bad is the guy who gets like held up by his feet in the in the trap. And then gets his throat and slit. And gets his throat slit. That's bad. The two who are having sex and they get stabbed through. Well, let's... Okay, let's take it step by okay. step here. Because... <laughs> um, it's the I, same I, movie. It reminds me of 22 Jump Street when the Ice Cube's like, just do the same thing. It was fine the first time. 
You had some, you had success the first time. Do the same thing, <laughs> and I feel like that's exactly what the writers were like. We can just do the same. They make the same movie four times. When we do part three, it's going to be the same movie. When we do part four, so, it's uh, going to so, be a similar. So movie. I'm just saying, this is going to be really quick because it's the same effing movie. Um. <laughs> uh, why? Okay. So a lot of people would say part two is their favorite, and it's not my favorite because my favorite is. When he gets the mask. Part three. Part three, because that's the iconic Jason. Like, part three is where we get iconic Jason from. And I, I, so when we saw Scream 6, there's a conversation that Mindy and Kirby have about horror movies. And Mindy says that part two is her favorite. And a lot of the fan base would say part two is their favorite as well. But I was watching it and I was like, no, I, it's, it's I part like three. I like it for what it is, but I don't think that it's my favorite of the franchise. No. You need part three is where we get the iconic look. Well, I think they're so even though they make the same movie four different times. No, we all know that they, my favorite is when he goes to space. Jason X. <laughs> yes. Um, so the even though they make the same movie a bunch of different times for four years. Hmm. Except Jason X, that's new. They're they're each like they're a not camp bit, counselors. It's space. well, they're each a little bit different in their own right. So like part three, he gets the iconic hockey mask, and it's basically the same movie. <laughs> but but he now gets a he gets mask. a hockey mask. Um, part four is basically the same movie, except you start introducing characters that come back in different movies, like Tommy Jarvis. And so part five, we don't talk about. We'll get there. Um, part six is my favorite. Jason lives, and I know part six is so. Like, it's got a lot of positive reaction, but it's also quite controversial with the fan base because it's when they start getting very cheeky, really like tongue in cheek with it. And they start getting like very cartoony with zombie Jason and they start not taking themselves nearly as seriously as they've taken themselves in the first four movies. But I tend to like that when horror movies that kind of are trying to reinvent themselves a little bit and when the franchise itself isn't taken seriously they don't take themselves as seriously nightmare on elm street starts to do this um halloween started to do this after a little while where they stopped taking them- themselves seriously uh but then they've returned to taking themselves seriously like if they ever make a new friday the 13th movie i'm sure it will be very serious um they're supposed to be coming out with a tv show on Peacock. They're jealous of how successful um, Chucky got cock. with yeah. a TV show. And what would you do with a Friday the 13th? So it's supposed to, it's called Crystal Lake and Brad Fuller is producing it, which is kind of a good sign. But, and Jason Blum, I think is uh, uh, in connection with it too. But the, so there has been like the, this rights dispute over Friday the 13th and the characterization of Jason. And when they finally came to a conclusion, Sean Cunningham and Victor Miller were in butting heads legally for a number of years about this. What are you talking about, Jason? Don't you mean Josh? Yeah. Jason's name was going to be Josh. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, that's not scary enough. Oh, no. Josh. It's, it's Josh. Um, so... Victor Miller and Sean Cunningham were in this rights dispute over like who came up with the idea. And I think what the courts settled on was that one of them has the ownership of the the name Friday the 13th, um, the characters from the first movie, 
And then one has the rights to the hockey mask and like the iconic look of Jason. So people were like, well, these guys aren't going to come to an agreement on what to do with a future movie or a future TV show. How the hell are they going to do this? Are they going to do Crystal Lake and it just be focused on Pamela Voorhees and like no hockey mask Jason? But then Brad Fuller comes out and he's like, no, we're able to use like whatever we want to use. We can use hockey mask Jason. We can use adult or kid Jason. And Brad Fuller basically said like for diehard Friday the 13th fans, I think you're going to be surprised by what we can use and what we're going to use. So I don't really know what to make of that. And I don't really know what to expect out of like the Friday the 13th show that's coming out. But it seems like they're very confident that it's going to be faithful and it's going to be um, like a good reboot to the franchise. If I was going to take Friday the the 13th and I was going to make a new movie out of it, I think I'd bring back Tommy Jarvis or some, I don't know. I have, I always thought a found footage Friday the 13th movie would be nice, but now thinking about it in retrospect, probably, probably not. (laughs) I think we talked about that in the last Friday podcast. Okay. Let's continue to knock this Do you remember where we are? Um, So our teenage counselors are coming into town and they stop at the gas station, like they, like they do in the first movie. They're all told, don't go there, don't go there. They're not actually going to Crystal Lake. They're going to a neighboring camp to train their counselors in order to open up a new camp. And we established that it's been five years since the first movie. And Crystal Lake has been condemned. Like, there's nobody is supposed to go there. So we meet our main cast members. We meet, uh, I, I was, I tried to write down all of their names and I did not get all of them. Uh, Paul, Paul is the main guy with the Paul. blonde hair and he is the leader of all of the counselors, training all the counselors to be counselors. Ginny is our main final girl and she is Paul's girlfriend and also the co-trainer for the counselors. Um, and then we have, God, is his name Stu? Steve? Something like that? I think maybe um, Steve. Maybe Steve was the prankster with the orange hair. And he's just like a goofy guy. We have Mark, who is the man in the wheelchair. And then we have Jeff, who is a teenager with a hat. (laughs) I wrote Jeff equals hat. Because that's the only way I was able to identify this guy. Sandra is his girlfriend. Uh, And then there's like the... The two little, the two like horny teenagers who the one gets uh, wrapped up in a in a trap and and dead, and then the other one does full frontal. Oh yeah, I, <laughs> I like I don't remember their names at all, but they're in the movie too. And then there's a bunch of other like no name counselors that end up making it out of this movie uh, yeah, without a like, scratch. <laughs> it's like you weren't killed. Congratulations. Yeah, I saw that dude with the rainbow suspenders, and I was like. He's dressed like like he's he's going to get it. But then he's like not heard of in the movie. And I guess he just had a very fun night uh, in the downtown like, bar. I'm glad that I wasn't part of this. Yeah, man. Gl- really glad I decided not to stay back. And I decided to go get drunk instead. It really saved my life. <laughs> I know. Like, I, well, I ain't staying here in the nighttime. So we have a number of deaths, fatalities that happen throughout the movie. Um, crazy Ralph, who's been like stalking um some of our counselors at this new camp, he gets killed. 
by the Jason. Oh, and then there's this cop that comes later. And he also like Okay, I I'm gonna we'll get to the scene because I have some questions about the legitimacy of this police officer in okay. the scene. Um okay, so our new cast goes to the gas station, we start meeting all of our characters, our prankster is introduced, um, which surprisingly he doesn't die. The prankster always dies. Um and they're establishing a new camp that's v- very much near Crystal Lake. We start meeting our other uh, soon-to-be counselors. And then there's, like, all these very gratuitous, like, butt shots of, <laughs> of all the girls. Like, did you notice that where they no. were? You'd, oh, okay. So I'm the sure I'm the guy who notices <laughs> all the butt shots. Um, when we first meet the, the act or the uh, character who goes full frontal later in the movie... They really focus on her butt as she's walking, and then somebody slingshots a rock into her butt. And I was like, this is a very gratuitous butt shot. Um, and we get multiple of those in the movie. And it's a weird nonverbal reaction that interaction that these characters have with each other. Uh, Ginny and Paul arrive to train the main counselors. Ginny comes in her car. We establish the car is uh, not working in certain regards. Mm-hmm. Like, just won't start, won't flip the engine. Um, and they said Ginny is majoring in child psychology. So she is like very well equipped to be a camp counselor. Um, Paul, what do you think about Paul as a character? Because he does make it out of this movie alive. And we I don't mean, necessarily have like a single final girl. We have like a final couple. I mean, he's vanilla. You think he's vanilla? I like Paul. <laughs> I thought Paul was a good He's character. like, he's got the drip. Paul did have the drip when he's going out on the town. I was like, he might have wearing, drip, but he don't have no riz. He's wearing a forest green turtleneck with a <laughs> bright red jacket. And I was like, man, this guy is ready for his night on the town. And um, Paul is a very responsible leader. I think he's a very good leader in the movie. If there's anybody that like I think is pretty well established as a character, it probably is Paul and Ginny. But again, I think Friday the 13th falls into this category of we're not focusing too much on character development. We're focusing on bodies that we can rack up for the killer. And And that's like the one criticism of this franchise is you end up rooting for the killer. Well, I didn't know many of their names. That's the only character that we know we have background for. Yeah, like I didn't know any of their names. I had to pay attention to really try to figure out, and I didn't get all of and them. And we either. get like into the killing like very soon. Uh, do you think? I thought it took some time to get there. No, like he starts killing people like immediately. I thought that it was like it took some time to get to getting our cast members picked off one by one, but like once it starts, it's like full speed ahead, and it doesn't stop. So they're at this campfire. They're doing like a get to know each other campfire story session. And Paul is telling the story of the first movie and about Jason Voorhees, a little boy. He was deformed. Counselors weren't watching and he drowned. Later on, his mom comes back, kills a bunch of people. And they say, Jason's still out there. Ooh, goody boo, goody boo, goody boo. What are you doing? Nothing. Looking at my glasses. (laughs) Um... I'm trying to think of what uh, what else happens next. And they're all just, they're just kind of all hanging out at the cabin. Um There's just a lot of like nothing nothing happens. 
I suppose. Well, it's like there's a lot of instances like, where it's we're like gonna nothing go, happens. We're gonna go out to town. Well, no, we're we're not even there yet. There's there's stuff that happens before, but it's like it's not important. Um, well, Ra- Ralph dies, and there's this like tense scene of like him stalking Ginny outside of her her campground, and then there's a dog. We meet the dog Muffin. Ah, oh, Muffin is adorable. We meet the dog Muffin, and. Uh, there's this really cool shot of Muffin like going up to Jason and then it immediately cuts to hot dogs on a grill. Mm. <laughs> so that you get, that gives the indication that the dog probably died. Even though the dog makes it out, dog does not die. Thank God, because you know me, I would be... They show this dead body of a dog and we think that it's Muffin, but it ends up, I guess, being a different dog. Muffin is, Muffin is very much alive at the end of this movie. There um, are a couple of the teenage counselors that decide to wander off and go try to find um, the condemned Camp Crystal Lake. And then they're caught by a police officer. When, When the police officer brings those kids back to Paul at the camp... Paul doesn't really discipline them too much. And no, he's, he makes a joke about like no no seconds supper, no, for dessert. No dessert for you guys. Then it's like y'all don't realize like this is kind of serious. Like yeah, they went to a place that's like illegal to go to, but Paul doesn't really take it seriously. And the police officer tells him like, "You better start taking this seriously, and you better be careful out here." Because we don't want another situation that that happened five years ago, and basically he basically says like I'm I'm if you take it further and there's more issues, then I'm shutting you guys down, which is a pretty fair threat. But then the police officer drives off, and we get this scene. He sees somebody like scurry across the road, and the police officer stops gets out of his car and begins chasing this person into the woods. To which I said, why did he do that? (laughs) Why did he feel he needed to chase this person into the woods? Can people just not be walking in the woods by themselves? But isn't there like this suspicious, like he's looking out for suspicious activity. So it's suspicious. I guess maybe through the woods. He did. The man did have burlap sack on his head. I know. So maybe a little sus. Yeah. So he chases this guy into the woods and they come across this like dilapidated cabin and he goes inside the cabin and then dies because that's Jason's cabin. Mm-hmm. Don't go into somebody else's house. Don't go into their house. Jason um, has some collectibles in the house <laughs> that he's collected over over time, including the, the head of his dead <laughs> mother. <laughs> Meemaw's head. Yep. Um, he gets a hammer to the head. I, oh, and then the, then everybody starts going into the town. Yes. Then it's yeah. like, oh, we're going into town. So half of our cast is going out on the town. The other half of the cast is like, no, we're going to stay here. It's like the guy in the wheelchair and the girl who's interested in him are staying behind. And then the couple is staying behind. Uh-huh. And then the two attractive people also stay behind. Yes. Yeah, so there's a number of them that stay behind them, like and then they just start getting picked off one by one. And this is where I was like, okay, we it, it took a little while to get to this point, but now once we're here, they're starting to die. Like, yeah, like everyone who stayed quickly. behind dies. 
yeah, man, if I was one of those comic books, glad I chose to get drunk tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whew. Could you imagine if I had decided to stay here? I would be dead. <laughs> I love, so like we, we um, for a couple years, were really into the uh, Friday the 13th game. Um, and I recognized Packnack Lodge from uh, the game. So it was really cool to rewatch this movie after a long time. And be time. like, oh, I was there. I know this whole landscape from the game. Like, I know exactly where to go. I know exactly what these rooms look like mm-hmm. because I play the game so much. Um, which is a good testament to the developers of the game that they right? got everything, like, pretty accurate. It's like, you got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, is the, what This iteration of Jason, what do you think about it? What's your favorite iteration of Jason throughout the franchise? Um, because my- he's like little you get little boy jason and then you get this version which is like survivalist jason i um, like robo space jason robo space jason yeah okay that's your favorite robo, for real robo space jason. robo space jason yeah Na- nanites jason <laughs> <laughs> because he's just like pretty much unstoppable at that point no, when he becomes a zombie, a zombie though. is pretty unstoppable. Yeah. He's like got super duper strength. But he's like a zombie robot in the space. Yeah. If he, wa- <laughs> we have to take it a step further. It's not just that he's just an unkillable zombie. He's now an unkillable zombie robot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think survivalist Jason is really cool. I think he has more character in this movie than in future ones because like i was thinking about it as we were watching the movie if we're going to compare this to like part six zombie jason zombie jason just like kind of walks around and like doesn't really do anything except for kill people like just kills whatever's in his line of sight this one i think we get a little bit more of a strategic jason um the way that he fights with people and the way that he like plans things out shows that there's a little bit of like character there and I kind of appreciated that, if I'm going to be honest. The survivalist Jason, while the look of this Jason isn't what we generally like or remember, this version of the character who's just about, like, setting traps and, like, being... He's a little bit more animated, I think, in this movie than in other ones. I think it adds a little bit of character. Because they start having this conversation when they're in the bar about Jason... And they're like, well, if Jason actually is out there, you have to imagine that, like, if he just like, grew up by himself in the woods, he probably has no concept of right and wrong. He probably doesn't even know the impact of what it means to kill somebody. Yeah. And then they they use the R word. Pretty, oh, yeah. Yeah, like, pretty... Uh, I'm not going to repeat it, but um, we both looked at each other, oof, got <laughs> hit with that right in the head. I was like, oh, they're just going to say the R word right here. Oh, yeah. But regard, uh, regardless of whether they said the R word, Ginny does have a good point when she starts talking about, like, this guy's, like, probably not even, like, equipped to be around humans because if he spent his whole life growing up in the woods, he probably doesn't have any concept of morality, of right and wrong, and he's probably, like, a killing machine. But, yeah, pretty much. But did they start bringing up in the movie, like... If he is alive, why didn't he talk to his mom or something? <laughs> I don't know. Like, 
it doesn't make sense. So we just kind of just were like, mm, okay, we're going to skip over that. I just noticed like you also have a Camp Crystal Lake sticker on your water bottle. I do. Yeah. C- C- Camp Crystal Lake 1980. Yep. Even though I'm watching these movies and I'm like, is it okay? You're going to think that I'm a poop head for this. You're always a poop head. Um, is it bad that like as we rewatch these movies, I'm like, they're not good. <laughs> I'm <laughs> looking at them and I'm saying, these good. are actually a little boring. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I am bored. <laughs> Even though I do like it, I'm a little bored. Like the first movie when we rewatched, yeah. I was like, this is a bit boring. The second movie, I was like, this is a little bit more exciting. But also, I don't like it as much <laughs> as I thought I did. I just, it, they're, I like, think they get bet more exciting. It's 80 minutes, and all you have to do is pay attention for 80 minutes. Well, you barely even have to pay attention. I know. You'd These be like me, and I'm just like existing. 80 minute bangers. Um, all right, so they all get, they all start to get picked off one by one. The guy in the blue shirt, he gets caught in a trap and then throat slit. His GF gets killed somehow. The two, uh, Jeff and Sandra, they're, they're like making love on the bed. And they and get stabbed. They get impaled. Um, the dude with the wheelchair, gets even though mach- he's like a really likable character. Gets machete in the head and well, pushed down the stairs. Oh my God, that's the worst one. <laughs> that's the worst one. He gets macheted right in the fi- middle of the face and then pushed down a large flight of stairs to which um, very clearly a dummy. Oh, yeah, it's so funny because <laughs> you could tell like when it switches to a dummy. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> It's like when we were watching The Mandalorian this past week and there's a scene with Grogu and he's uh, like, like flipping around. And you're like, someone's in a green screen outfit just like taking a doll and like twisting it around. Yes, that's what I thought too. And uh, there's a scene where like Grogu lands and then it cuts but it's like a really strategic cut where if you weren't paying attention to it, you wouldn't see anything different. But if you are paying attention to it, you can tell that it's like a doll. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it. I love movie. I love movie magic. I, I we saw like how they did the behind the scenes for the Chucky show, and it's so cool how they do the doll animatronics. Well, well, I told him I was like, he's like, how do you think they do that? Like walking, and I was like, they totally put on a green screen outfit and like attach his feet to people's feet Mm -hmm. and like people are running with the doll on their feet to make the doll look like it's running yeah and he's like wow like that's smart and i'm like no like that's literally how they do it it's incredible how they do it's so creative and it's like um how do you get the doll to like walk like a human being while you movement in the arms i was like while you attach it to a person and that's how you do it. So yeah, so cool, so cool. I love movies, and I love I love magic behind it. Um, there's some, there's some interesting stuff um, when it comes to like the making of these movies, but not so interesting with Friday the Thirteenth Part Two because there wasn't a lot of like interesting stories that were involved here. Is like make the same movie again. Uh, Mark gets a machete to the face. He's pushed down the stairs, adding insult to his injury uh, because he is uh, disabled. And I guess Jason likes to make fun of disabled people. <sighs> Jason. Wow, that's like really disrespectful. Yeah, how disrespect. Mad, mad disrespectful. Uh, Jeff and his girlfriend are impaled. This scene was actually cut by the MPAA. Um, there was... What are you doing? Um, grabbing a pen there was a 40 sec uh, 48 seconds of this film that were cut because of uh 
the Motion Picture Association of America wanting to label this an X rating. So uh, while we don't see the full impaling, they do get impaled. Mark's girlfriend is stabbed, uh, and then we reveal Jason with a sack head. We get this, uh, I would say, would you say this look is iconic for Jason? No. You don't think so? I don't think it's the iconic Jason it's, look. Uh, it's pretty much a blatant ripoff of the town that dreaded sundown and that killer with the burlap sack and the, the plaid outfit. But I think it's interesting, um, this look for Jason. It's it's weird how we have to go to a part three in order to get like this character fully developed in the way that we want him to be. Normally that doesn't happen in horror movies where it's like part three is where we get our more iconic look. I'm moving really quick here. Paul and Ginny come back from downtown and they get there and they see a bunch of the dead bodies and then they're attacked by Jason. Jason has a clash with Paul. And then there's this uh, big chase scene. There's a pretty long chase scene between Jason and Ginny. Um, She tries to hide in the bathroom and he chases her down there. She goes through the window and then uh, she tries to get in the car and start the car. But the car is not starting and Jason starts uh, trying to get at her by tearing apart the top of the car. So she's like fighting back with him. She runs into the woods. She runs under the bed. Interesting uh, little bit of... She pees herself. Yeah, when she's under the bed, she there's a mouse that comes up to her. And she pee-pees. And, and they like they make a point to show us... That she pees. That she peed herself. And like Jason notices that. But could we have approached that differently? Maybe. Did we have to establish that this character pees her pants? Probably not. I'm no. sure there could have been another thing that would have indicated to Jason that she was under the bed. But I thought that was uh, interesting, to say the least, is that we focus on right. the pee-pee. But, hey, man, I'm not the one making the movie. So Me either. Uh, Steve Miner, if you, you, you tell us about your uh, mindset behind that. The chase scenes are actually really good, I think. Um I think a horror movie or a slasher movie is only as good as its main chase scene. Mm-hmm. Um, the kills can be the kills, but what builds the tension and builds the tension is the chase scene. So where the first Friday the 13th movie, I don't think had like a pretty good chase scene between uh, Alice and Mrs. Voorhees. It was just like weird and mm-hmm. like very fast. I think this one slows down and it takes its time a little bit to build the tension and to kind of work our way up to getting to Jason dying. And um, I, I think back to like some of the other horror movies that we've watched with like pretty good chase scenes. Um, I, I was more recently thinking to Scream 6 and some of the chase scenes that are involved there and just like keeping you on the edge of your seat. I think this one has, a, this movie has like a nice like kind of ending where like the our chase leads us to his little shack house. It's like we're getting a tour of the entire property of of this camp, right? So like, and she kind of uses like her child psychology to like defeat him because she pretends to be his mom. 
is that child psychology though i think they're i think they're trying to say the reason that she gets away is because she's a child psychology major so interesting because i didn't put those two things i think that's like what they're alluding to is like oh she knows so much about child psychology (laughs) you know how before she was talking about like him and psychoanalyzing him well now she actually gets to practice psychoanalyze oh see like i didn't pick up any of that stuff i'm glad you did because i I didn't i didn't make those connections because i'm smart because i don't question these movies and i just like turn my brain off and watch or jason they could have done that on accident they could have done that on accident no but what you're saying makes more sense that they would kind of Try to use that as Why a way. Why would they introduce her as a child psych person if they were not going to use it? But that's not child psychology, though. No, it, but that's what their understanding of what child <laughs> psychology is. You can't just like... Oh, we've been pr- sitting a long time. My booty cheeks hurt. If, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's not child psychology, though. That's just messing with somebody who is like... I'm trying to be sensitive to Jason. Not smart. Not smart. Yes, you're messing with this person. Um, so she she gets to the cab and there's large chasing. We get in this huge tour of the property. We see all the different rooms and we see all the different places, which I'm sure if those developers of the game were watching the show and they were seeing or they were watching the movie and they were seeing this one big chasing, they're like, okay, now we know what the entire property looks like and we're like ready to go. Um so it ultimately leads to Jason's cabin where she uh uh Ginny finds his mom's sweater and the head and she's trying to block her way so that Jason doesn't see the head she puts on the sweater and she starts yelling at you mother is talking to you mother is talking to you trying to make sure he's fooled into thinking that she's his mom yeah and uh then it leads to her taking a machete and um she was gonna swing at him but he blocks it with the pickaxe right or is that earlier as the story goes whenever that scene did happen she did swing at the actor who played jason and he didn't pick the pickaxe up in time and it chopped his finger and he had to go to the emergency room poor guy poor guy it's uh it's quite the struggle playing jason sometimes but she swings a machete into his neck and he get he gets necked. He gets necked. Yeah, he gets he gets necked. Paul comes back and helps her out. And then they're in another cabin. We go somewhere else and they think somebody's at the door and they're like ready to go fight this person that's at the door. And then it's the dog. It's Muffin. Muffin. Muffin's back. Oh, Muffin. Muffin. And then there's this like lighthearted music. Like, I can't believe you made it out, Muffin. We start petting the and dog. And then Jason like bursts through, through the, the window, window. <laughs> and grabs her. And he's like horribly disfigured because yeah. he's not wearing the burlap sack. Mm-hmm. And we get we get our we have our Jason. He gets defeated. Well, does he? Because she gets attacked through the window and then they cut to her going into the ambulance and like wait what happened what happened i i mean I, we have no idea how this movie ended he either gets defeated or like gets spooked off like are we to assume that whole sequence with them in muffin was a dream in which is muffin actually alive no at that point? i think muffin is fine because we don't 
So I said, they're both in the cabin. Jason bursts through the window. Muffin is alive. And then I said, did that actually happen? What happened in the ending of this movie? We don't know. Like, what's the true ending of this movie? We don't know, because that's how it ends. And that leaves way more questions. I know. This is where this movie, you're like, it's not as good as I I remember it being. I understand maybe why they made that decision, because... Because they have to bring him back. Yeah, you have to figure out how to bring this guy back. And it's like, if you leave it ambiguous, then you can either definitively close it and say that this guy's dead or and that ending actually did happen or um no he he made it out alive and something happened in between her getting uh grabbed through the window and her being in the ambulance that led to Jason being still out there the world and may it's never it's ambiguous know. as to if Paul is still alive because he's not anywhere near the ambulances at uh at that moment but I'm going to assume that Jenny and Paul made it out alive and that Jason is just fine. Yep. That and that actually nothing happened in this no, ending. It, he got away with multiple murders. Actually, <laughs> we end the movie with more questions. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you had questions before. Now we asked you to ponder these more. They they end with a shot, a lingering shot of Mrs. Voorhees's head and bodies cab- that are inside and the, the cabin. bodies that are inside the cabin. Um, the initial ending to this movie was going, and they did shoot this. They edited it and they shot it of the Mrs. Voorhees' head uh, winking at the camera. Please no. <laughs> but it has not, th- that footage has not been unearthed. Okay, it's not been found. Anywho, so that's how the movie ends. And I'm, I don't know. Am I eager to watch part three? No, not really. But we'll get there. Um, taking so- this movie slow. We got to first discuss how good the movie is. Um, uh, can I have the pen? Yeah. What did we give the first one? I will refer back to the archives. The archives. The first Friday the 13th oh, movie. My... Um, He's lost his notes in the archive. Uh, no. Jesus. Uh, the, uh, the invitation. Um, sick. When did we do? When did we do Friday the Thirteenth? I don't remember. Oh God, do I even have? A- I don't know. I think I would give this movie on the good scale, maybe like a two point one. Friday, okay, Friday the Thirteenth on the good scale. Yeah, good scale. We gave the first Friday the Thirteenth a seven point six. I don't think this movie's as good as the first one. Yeah, I think it's better than the first one. It's definitely not scary. I would maybe say on par. Maybe with the okay, first 7.6, one. maybe it's tied as a 7.6. So, tied with 7.6. And but we can always revisit these scary scores. Scary-wise, maybe I'm desensitized. That's where I'm like, maybe it's like a 1.2. We gave the first Friday the 13th a 3.2. Now it's like a 1.2. It's not, it's not you scary. You don't think this one is scary? No, it, 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 I know it gets scarier. Like, I know it gets scarier. Um, so we're going with the good scale. We're going 7.6. Sure. And then the scary scale. 1.2. You're giving it a 1.2. Yeah. What are you giving it? Because you're the one who matters, right? What are you giving it, Anthony? I'm thinking. Give me a second. Give me a second. I'm thinking. Um, is this scarier than the first movie? No. <laughs> no i'm thinking no i'm thinking i'm gonna give it a 3.0 i think too it's many a people little, survive this one it's less scary well that, that, that doesn't matter but 
I like the chase sequence in this movie, but I feel like this one was a little less eventful. I don't know. People say that this is their favorite. I don't know why. I don't, what makes this one so good to in people's eyes? I don't think it's, I would love to hear the discourse behind I know. this. Um, I'll say Bree said 1.2 and I said 3.0 on the scary scale. Okay. Okay. What's the highest we've given so far for um, sca- Skinamarink? Skinamarink got a really high Skin score. Skinamarink went high. Because that movie was legitimately scary. Skinamarink got a 9.1. It was scary. I was scared. Scale. That movie we had to turn off because it was really, really dark out. And we had to turn it off and finish it in the morning. Like, <laughs> it was still scary that, in the morning. That's too. how scary Skinamarink was. And I just... Help. I'm I remember, trapped in the Skinamarink I remember house. if we if we watch smile again and actually do a podcast on it that would also score really high in the scary do you want to that like, could be our next one we could do smile next because that was scary like that i think what i what i find very scary is psychological movies like movies that mess with like your head everybody has different tastes when it comes to horror like, because like a slasher movie like um Slasher movies don't really scare me, like Friday the 13th, Halloween, um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, um, Chucky. Those don't really scare me and like stuff like that. But tell me why like Skinamarink terrified me and like nothing really happened. That was just vibe and ambiance. Um, Smile scared me. Okay. Um, Because like... There's that something was, that about, was also there's vibe, something like about like not only vibe but like it follows scares me like movies where like it's not a person it's not an entity it is like something so, beyond something out of your control and out of control like out of your control like you there is no stopping this right it exists within your mind or exists like in the ether. Well, that's how I felt, and we can cover this more when we do cover Smile, but how I felt about Smile was that there is nothing you can do to prevent this. Like, that's the same thing with, like, the Final Destination movies, is there, you can't, you can't stop, stop death. Like You can't stop it. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's what's truly scary. Like, I could watch the heck out of Saw. There's so many. But, like, it's not as scary as, like... Smile, smile was terrifying. There's so many interesting things to talk about in regards to why certain, uh, why certain generations or eras of horror correlate to like our our fear as American society. So like when it when it comes down to like the early and mid two thousands and the like torturous aspect of movies, that's because we believed that the scary part was torture because that's what american society was going through at the time was like we just want to be as brutal as possible politics was brutal and now i'm starting to think that it's like we're getting into territory where in the past maybe 10 years or so a lot of the scariness has been what is out of our control Mm -hmm. as human beings what can't we control it's so interesting, and I wonder if there is any, like, historical or, like, zeitgeisty relation to that sort of feeling, because there was a, p- a period of time when we went paranormal, too, 
when everything that was scary was ghosts, demons, like anything that is otherworldly and out of your control. So I'm wondering like what the zeitgeist was at that moment or societal's fixation on what is scary is the fear of the unknown or the fear of what is something that we can't understand. Things like that. I don't know. There's got to be some kind of historical relevance there. I get terrified of the idea of not being There's a cool like history. Eli Roth did like a history of horror type show for AMC not too long ago. And they go into like what was going on in history at the time period that movie that horror movies were coming out. So like Godzilla obviously is a reaction to the terror of the atomic war. Um, There's there's a bunch of other stuff. It's all very interesting, and we can get into it later. So, Brie, why don't we wrap it up? Sounds good. I love this movie. I mean, there's nothing that's going to stop us from, like, loving the classics. But as we walk back on the classics, it's like, it's. I understand why these were terrifying at the time, but they just don't have the same oomph. Yeah, and it just could be us and our generation and our exposure to other forms of horror where this stuff it's just like not as scary but at the time it was probably terrifying probably very terrifying yeah um and i think we have to keep that in perspective as we grade these movies on scary scale is are we scared in the moment i was like in the 80s in the shoes i was like in the 80s terrifying yeah i was like because that was when they were living through like the serial killer like phase like there were active serial killers like well, and that's why Halloween is so scary to people it's because, because it's like the monster comes to you. You don't go to the monster. And that was telling of the times we were dealing with all these different serial killers. There, Especially ser- in suburbs, ser- too. Serial killers were in the news. It was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, we don't get that same. We don't. They don't use the word serial killer. Even oh, yeah. though there's definitely uh-huh. a serial killer in Chicago right now who's killing people and dumping their bodies and there's like there's no longer a sensationalism around But people are definitely killers. like there's definitely serial killers still around today, but there's not the sensationalization of them because it's dangerous. Yeah. You're not gonna name a No, like, there's definitely a serial killer right now in Chicago. Yes. And they haven't they haven't found this person. Because it was no, there's like men in their like men in their like mid twenties who are getting like just murdered, murdered and dumped in bodies of water. Yes, and like it's always the same type of. It's like white men in their mid twenties. We just watched that. I said, I told him, I was like, you're not allowed to go downtown. You're not allowed to go downtown by yourself. You're not allowed to be drunk downtown because I don't want you to get downtown. When do I ever go downtown? I was like, you're perfect. You're white and you're in your (laughs) mid twenties. This guy's going to eat you up. Perfect candidate for this guy. I know. (laughs) Um, So we just watched that episode of South Park yesterday with uh, Cartman when he's like a psychic and trying to figure out a serial killer and how the serial killer like returns to the the scene of the crime and Kyle immediately is like what about this guy <laughs> anyway. okay why don't we wrap it up so um Bree where can we find you um you can find me nowhere i am an enigma you are living in a cabin in the middle of the woods with a burlap sack on your head and i haven't seen human beings in 
years. Yes. Since I drowned that one time. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at GLDTV1. And I'm so sorry to people. I have yet to create social <laughs> media. For our We're going to be like three years down the road. Okay. 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 I had time over this spring break. But instead of but doing that. do it. No. I've done other things. Maybe I'll make it like part of my um, to-do list in the next Hey. Week. You do you. Um. You can find us wherever you get your podcast. You can Google, rate us five stars. Spotify, Apple. All sorts of good stuff. Mainly Google, Spotify, Apple. Um, but we're also on a lot of other platforms as well. So uh, we will be back and we'll uh, ramp this thing up um, for Friday 13th Part 2. Kind of a, a uneventful movie, I would say. It's the same movie. It's sometimes hard to talk about these movies when... I feel like we've already talked about it in the first one. Um, what more do you want? It's the same movie. And it's going to be like this in part three. We should do like part three and four together. Petition or for Anthony to stop trying to make things long and me just ruffle up his feathers. Me trying to make things long? I wasn't trying to extend the <laughs> the length of the podcast. We just were having a good conversation, I suppose. I love him. Oh, how nice. Anyway, so, uh, gosh, you can find us wherever you get your podcast. Raise five stars. We'll be back next week with, I don't know, movie TBD. Maybe smile. Maybe, Maybe smile. not. We were also thinking knock on the cabin. Um, oh, yeah, with Rupert. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, I haven't seen Rupert. Be our first M. Night Shyamalan movie of either somebody outside revving an engine. She's distracted. Anyway, um. Is that a helicopter? Maybe. It I might be know. a helicopter. Helicopter. It seems like they're like right over our head. Could be. Maybe we're in trouble. <laughs> okay. Um, we may or may not be in jail in the next uh, recording of the podcast. Oh, they left. And they left. So, uh, God, let's wrap it up. Okay. Bye. See you later. Bye. Bye.